You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. And so um, now, now kind of moving on to some not necessarily traumatic injuries, but uh, common things that you're going to see in hand clinic. Um, what is a condition where a patient may feel a click or a pop and pain in their palm when they move their fingers? Yep. This is classic, you know, trigger finger. Um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a classic trigger finger. And I think even like with pediatrics, it, it won't present like that. They'll be like, oh, my kid fell. And then now their finger is doing this, but likely it was probably there beforehand and it just wasn't noticed. I remember having a patient, maybe like two, where it, was, where it was that kind of almost exact same scenario. But a trigger finger, also known as denosing tenosynovitis. Uh, now, what is <laughs> what is denosing tenosynovitis due to and kind of some of the associated conditions? Yeah, it's a... Tenosynovitis are the flexor tendons, which causes impingement or uh, kind of uh, the tendon is too fat for the A1 pulley. Um, and you're going to see an increase in type 3 uh, collagen and chondrocytes within the uh, actual tendon itself if it's biopsied. Um, and you can see it in patients with some systemic diseases, so those with diabetes, those with gout calcific tendonitis, amyloidosis, that sort of stuff. Um, more commonly, you may just see it in um, in kind of like the 40s, 50s, 60-year-old uh, patients who they it's more prominent in the mornings where they, they wake up and they'll say, hey, I have to use my, my other hand to um, kind of open my fingers and I feel a pop. And after I move it around, it, it kind of works its way through. And, um, but they, they will occasionally get an absolute locking of their fingers and they are unable to fully extend them because that tendon gets too fat in order to pass through the A1 pulley. Um, what are some of the, uh, treatment options for a patient with trigger finger? Yeah. So it's going to be, you can do non-operative, which consists of like steroid injections, and operative is going to be an A1 pulley release. Um, pretty straightforward. What condition uh, may be noted in a 45-year-old female with radial-sided wrist pain, um, with wrist pain, with ulnar deviation while making a fist? That's going to be uh, decrevain tenosynovitis, and it's basically a, uh, a tenosynovitis involving the APL and EPB tendons. And... Um, it's called uh, the the Finkelstein test is described in some questions. And what that is, is you um, have the patient make a fist, but their thumb is tucked underneath their fingers. So their fingers wrap their thumb and then they ulnar deviate their wrist. And that's going to put those tendons within the first dorsal compartment on stretch and it's going to cause severe pain right over those APL and EPB tendons. And uh, the treatment options for this is similar to a trigger finger, um, steroid injections. And if that doesn't work, you can also do a first dorsal extensor compartment release. Um, but you do have to be uh, cautious with the release because um, I believe it is the EPB may have multiple sheaths. Um, 
and you may not release all of the sheets if you just do a simple release. You have to look and release all of the separate sheets of the um, EPB. I, I think that's what it is. I don't think it's the APL, but I could have those <laughs> backwards. I, I can't. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I have no but, idea. <laughs> um, but let's say, oh, man, this was me. I, I'm not quite 40. I'm getting close. But uh, <laughs> what condition may be noted in a 40-year-old weightlifter with radial-sided wrist pain? and tenderness to palpation approximately six centimeters proximal to the radial styloid yeah so that's going to be that intersection uh intersection syndrome so that's pretty much what's going to be due to inflammation at the intersection of the first and second dorsal compartment so of your apb and epl and your ecrb and ecrl so know that and i think just know that is stylus compartments. I think I remember, no, at least I remember seeing intersection syndrome as an answer choice on some questions. So good to know what that is. Uh, and I'm sure it's, it's probably not, not very comfortable to have. Um, what are some treatment options for intersection syndrome? Which is pretty much, I, I guess it was pretty much yeah. almost the same <laughs> as, as all yeah. the other stuff. Activity you know? modifications, yeah, steroids, steroids, and then a second dorsal compartment release. So <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, you get that. Um, those, as those compartments are crossing over each other, um, they, they do rub, they do, they do cause issues, but, um, if possible, I would, I would probably avoid a compartment release if, if possible for these patients. And I would highly recommend, um, even though it's not always possible because the 40 year old weightlifter still thinks he's got it and has to show up all the 18 year olds in the gym. Um, <laughs> but I would definitely push them more towards activity modification and steroid injections for, for a, a solid three to six months before really considering a surgery for them. But, um, but yeah, I'm trying to look, I actually, I was, I was looking up the, um, Ooh, I was I was wrong. The APL usually has at least uh, two tendon slips and its own fibroosseous compartment. So it is not the EPB. It is the APL has variable anatomy and has at least two tendon slips that you have to release for uh, decurvain's tenosynovitis. So um, scratch what I said. At first, and go with what I'm saying now. It is the APL, which has two tendon slips, not the EPB. Yep, yep, very uh, true. But yeah, moving on. What is the physical exam that can help determine if the ulnar wrist pain is from uh, ECU versus the TFCC? Yeah, so that's going to be the ECU synergy test, uh, you know, because th both those things can present. Uh, with similar symptoms, uh, you know, ulnar-sided wrist pain uh, around the TFCC versus ECU. So this is going to help you kind of determine the two. And so the ECU synergy test is when you have the elbow supinated, you have the digits extended, and you have them radially deviate their thumb, and you palpate their ECU. And if they have tenderness around the ECU, that's going to be a positive finding for, uh, for ECU tendonitis versus TFCC pain. And uh, and moving forth, we're we're continuing with the land of hand here. We don't have too too much stuff left, uh, but we'll quickly touch on some hand infections. Uh, what are some common hand infections and their treatment? I guess this is kind of just a quick quick bullets. Yeah, so um, we should all kind of know these just from taking call. But paronychia is a nail fold infection. You can treat these with um, antibiotics. Uh, however, if they are 
uh, kind of large, angry, visibly infected, then um, you do an IND of the abscess. And if it's chronic, then you may need to do a nail plate removal and epinicheal marsupialization, which basically means you're lifting the epinicheal off the germinal matrix and um, creating a complete kind of decompression of the perinicheal and the lateral nail fold to fully re release the um, abscess that's forming. Um, a felon is a fingertip pulp abscess, and you treat that with an IND. Um, we were always taught to not do a direct volar incision over the nail bed for risk of just kind of persistent scar tissue formation and pain every time the patient grasps something. So typically you'd want to use some sort of lateral incision. The uh, hard part about treating felons is you want to make sure you get all the way across um, and break up all of those septations, because if one of those septations still remains, um, that can harbor uh, uh, unreleased abscess um, in the nail, uh, uh, not the nail, the, the fingertip uh, pulp itself. Um, Herpetic whitlow is when uh, patients will have vesicles and bullae. Um, typically, they look like a bunch of whiteheads around the dorsal part of the uh, fingertip. And the treatment for those is uh, acyclovir. You almost never uh, do a, a surgical treatment for these. These will uh, usually be treated uh, with acyclovir. And if there's some sort of bacterial superimposed infection, if the patient was like picking at them or popping them on their own, they may need formal antibiotics along with the acyclovir. Um, human bite wounds, um, you want to think uh, still Staph aureus and Streptococcus, but also the uh, classic tested one is uh, Iconella. Um, you treat those with uh, IND and uh, antibiotics. Um, animal bite wounds, you want to think Staph aureus, but um, they will test you on Pasteurella, um, especially for like a dog bite. It is going to be Pasteurella and a cat bite. Um, you want to antibio use antibiotics and you want to IND those. And then deep space infections of the hand or collar button abscesses where the abscess starts either volar or dorsal and then proceeds into the other compartment. So that's when you have to do both a volar and dorsal um, IND uh, or incisions if, the, if it's a collar button. And you typically will notice that intra-op. If you do just a volar incision for a volar abscess and you see that the pus is draining from um, in between the metacarpals, then you just move to the dorsal side and, and release it back there. Use packing and secondary wound closure. And then pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis, which um, every single emergency department physician thinks that every hand infection is flexor tenosynovitis. <laughs> That's uh, so true. <laughs> for, those, for those you, uh, um, yeah, for every flexor tenosynovitis consult you get it probably is correct uh 10 percent of the time it's mm -hmm. about one in ten uh but regardless um they uh the er docs are they're responsible for a lot so you can't give them too much too much crap um but you want to treat those with ind and uh antibiotics because the 
uh, the flexor tenosynovitis is not going to improve with antibiotics itself, and it most likely is going to track proximal along the tendon sheath. And then you're looking at an infection within the carpal tunnel or proximal in the forearm, and it can turn bad real quick. So you want to IND the flexor tenosynovitis ASAP. And we, for the flexor tenosynovitis, you you'll talk to your hand attending on the phone, and they'll be like, "All right, well, what what canaval signs do they have?" Yep. So the canaval signs and what these are, these are just clinical exam findings that are seen in patients that have uh, pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis. Um, and so pretty much what this is, is fusiform digit swelling. So fusiform swelling of that digit, their hand is held in flexion. They're tender to, to palpation along the flexor tendon sheath and there's sheath pain with passive extension. In real life, sometimes it can be a little hard to differentiate this between like some abscesses of the of the fingers because you know they'll also be tender there um but i remember there was like i remember it had an ed doc tell very commonly like you need to come see this this you have to urge on this page for sure tennis and divitis and i was like all right man like they have all the signs you're like yes they have all four canaval signs i was like all right and then like went down there they're just actively like <laughs> moving their fingers with no problem i was like come on man like, like uh, yeah. come on like this is this is not flexor tino but you know sometimes um you know they, they have a lot to deal with too so you know i can't you can't be too too hard on them but you know it, it is what it is um uh, but those are the canaval signs um so moving forward to arthritis uh i guess what joint in the hand is most commonly affected by osteoarthritis most commonly affected by osteoarthritis yeah, and just think about uh, the last time you saw your grandma's hands <laughs> and and what they look like. And it's always they get those osteophytes around the DIP. Um, at least my grandma did. And you could just tell that those DIP joints were probably extremely painful. But uh, then it's the thumb CMC. Then it's the proximal interphalangeal joint. And then it's the MCP is the least commonly affected by uh, osteoarthritis. And um what are some of the diagnoses on the list for a patient with kind of radial-sided proximal thumb or thumb base uh, pain? Yeah, so this could be like thumb CMC arthritis. It could be radial skateboard arthritis from back when we were talking about, you know, kind of snack and slack wrists. Um, it can be decovarians, tenosynovitis, which we talked about. It could also be scapho, trapezial, trapezoid arthritis. So there's all different types of arthritis it could be uh, for these patients to kind of have these, these uh, thumb CMC pain. Uh, so what's the difference, I guess, between stage three in stage four, um, first CMC arthritis. Yeah, so the stage four is going to also have not just the CMC um, uh, or first CMC arthritis, it's going to have that scapho trapezio trapezoid arthritis, which is going to be the stage four. So those patients are, um, it, and it really is more for the uh, operative treatment plan for them is what's going to differentiate the the stages. And so what are some of those operative treatment options for uh, thumb CMC arthritis? Yeah. And, and there are a lot of, a lot of different options. Um, one is a hemitrapeziectomy. So you remove part of the bone. Uh, the other one is just a full trapeziectomy where you just take the entire bone out, which does have a little bit lower complications. 
You can also do a thumb metacarpal extension osteotomy. So try to change the, uh, a little bit of the mechanics of, uh, uh, of the CMC joint. You can also do a trapeziectomy. So you remove the trapezoid and then you do some type of interposition. So you can uh, do a, some type of interposition with an FCR or the APL tendon. Um, you can also do LRTI, which is a ligament reconstruction and tendon interposition. Uh, and I've seen, I guess I've seen some type of uh some type of different technique with that and the ones that I've seen for CMC arthritis, like the trapeziectomy. And then, I'm, and then, you know, there's some synthetic things that you can do. Again, you can do it with the FCR, APL. There are a lot of different techniques written on that. So I don't think they're necessarily going to ask what specific technique um, as you're going to do for that. Uh, also, you can do an arthrodesis. You can always fuse things. And, you know, we always talk about our lum our young laborers for fusing things. Those are the people that we may fuse. And you can also do an implant arthroplasty. Um, there are all, a whole bunch of different types of implants, silicone. Uh, there are a lot of different implants, but these are going to be associated with a little bit of higher complications. Uh, so what are some of the operative treatment options for patients with PIP arthritis, proximal interphalangeal joint arthritis? Uh, yeah. So if they have good bone stock, you can do some sort of silicone based arthroplasty. Um, if they are the border fingers, like the index and small digits, um, arthrodesis is, um, acceptable for those. And, uh, now you just have to kind of think about the angles that you're going to fuse them in because you don't want to fuse them completely straight and you don't want to fuse them completely flexed all the way. So, um, as you go from, uh, index to small digit, the angle is going to increase by about five degrees. So the fusion angle for the index PIP is about 30 degrees, then 35 for the long 40 for the ring and 45 for the small. And the reason for that is because you have so much more movement in the, uh, sagittal plane for these digit motions as you go from index to small. So the small digit can accept more angle fusion because it has more uh, movement at the uh, metacarpal uh, region. 